Toronto FC, a team with a new direction after an off-season makeover. It's an all-Canadian affair. Matt working against Morgan. Puts it across the mile. Yes! Marco De Lyle. That's what we expected from him. To make those rainbows in my mind when I think of you sometime and I want to spend some time with you. Just the two of us. Welcome to the Two Salt Tooth Podcast. I'm Dwayne Rollins along with Kevin Laramay. Going to have a bit of a throwback to my old podcast today. Ben Knight, former ICF co-host, former Canadian soccer news writer, former writer for many different places for a long time, the only writer on Canadian soccer through those dark days of the early 2000s. Ben's coming on to reminisce a little bit about the past and to talk about now what he's up to today. So uh, we're happy to have Ben on and we're going to just, uh, Kevin, after we say hi to you, we'll just throw to him. So how are you doing today, Kevin? I am doing pretty great cold day here, which I guess is the case in Toronto too. Uh, fall has arrived, unfortunately, it means probably no more soccer for me outside, but guess what? Still one more round of golf and in me and it's today. Yeah, I have to get back and uh, have another round of golf before the end of the year. Uh, I have uh, connections at a, a course just east of Toronto, so that we're going to try and hook into that for another round. It's a beautiful little place. But anyway, um, enough of us trying to suck up to people to give us free things. Uh, let's just bring Ben on the line and uh, and have a little talk about the past and uh, about what's going on uh, in his life right now today. And welcome back to It's Called, I mean, to uh, to the Two Solitudes podcast. We've got Ben Knight on the line, formerly uh, my uh, my colleague on It's Called Football, uh, Canadian Soccer News, wrote for Onward, wrote for uh, Sportsnet, uh, kind of for a long time was the only guy writing about Canadian soccer. Uh, a lot of us in the internet uh, generation uh, knew him, and uh, he was the one beacon that was out there talking about the domestic game when everyone else was focused on Europe. Ben, how are you doing? I'm doing really well, Dwayne. Uh, nice to meet you, Kevin. How you doing, Ben? Ben, first off, I know a lot of people ask me pretty consistently, at least once a week, someone will ask me what you're up to. So why don't we'll let you tell the people what what are you up to now? Well, let's see now. I am splitting my time. I live in two cities. I'm splitting my time between uh, Toronto and Peterborough. Uh, about five years ago, I was fortunate enough to meet and fall madly in love with a Peterborough gal, and my life has... Uh, uh, moved on very nicely uh, since then. Uh, I reached a point about a couple of years ago when uh, when I realized that I had uh, run my course as a soccer writer over uh, many years. I started in 2000, and uh, that the things that I had wanted to do were essentially done. The people I hoped would be in place had essentially appeared, and uh, there just wasn't anything left to write about. So I wrote off, <laughs> wrote off into the sunset and immediately wrote my first novel, which is shopping its way around uh, publishers now. 
Well, tell us a bit about that novel. What's it called? And, uh, uh, it's called uh, Fieldstone and Destiny, and those are the names of the two central characters. It's a story about the process of reincarnation, how one gets from one life to another. Uh, and, uh, and it's set in a place that looks oh, quite astonishingly like Peterborough. <laughs> I wonder how that happened. I'll give you a tip, guys. If you ever write your first novel, write it in a place you can walk a dog in. It really helps. <laughs> there you go. You can sort of absorb the... Uh, What's the surroundings are there? A uh, place is such an important part of most Canadian novels. So I'm absolutely, sure I, absolutely, I look forward to to seeing that. Uh, ben, the other you did write off in the sunset, and you wrote a nice little column that got a, a real, a really great uh, response to it. But we never really had uh, you and I uh, a chance to say goodbye to another vehicle that we were using back in the day, and that's it's called football, which was yeah. a podcast that. Uh, that I think punched way above its weight for a long time. We had some great guests on that, and uh, we did some great work on that. So uh, just uh, talk about your time on It's Called Football and what your, what your memories of that podcast were. Well, I, uh, I mean, I... I got into being a soccer writer by accident. I was uh, I was one of the day one originals at Sportsnet.ca, but I was writing about uh, lacrosse and curling and some setup stuff for the Sydney Olympics. And then in the fall of 2000, they decided they didn't want to pay for that anymore. And my editor took me aside and asked me if I knew anything about soccer. Um, and aside from the nicknames and uh, grounds of every team in the English Fourth Division, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe not. Uh, but uh, but no, I knew enough to uh, to bluff my way through at first, and then uh, and then it got uh, uh, things got uh, things got interesting, and there always seemed to be something to be uh, concerned about or uh, uh, trying to keep a conversation going, as you would say. Um, and uh, and it just sort of uh, it just sort of it started as. Uh, a job I took because I, I was a lacrosse writer and lacrosse wasn't paying enough to cover gas to lacrosse games. And then by the time TFC showed up in 2007, it turned into something that was that 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 that, uh, that, that I was really passionate about, really involved in, and really uh, uh, really going. But in those wilderness years, yeah, I, I, I was very aware of being the only one out there, and I was very aware. Uh, I, what I wasn't aware of is that anybody at all was listening, and that came later. And uh, uh, the biggest reward of all to me was when we started ICF, because because my my career ended suddenly with the Globe and Mail in 2008 as a result of a financial uh, uh, foo and very shortly after, Ben Rycroft uh, contacted me, and uh, uh, we went out for Mexican food on the day forth, and he offered me, I think, $50 a week or something like that to uh, uh, to be uh, involved in It's Called Football, and that was, uh, compared to what I was going to be getting during <laughs> my soccer writing career, that was a fortune, so I, uh, I, I took it, and it turned into, I think, the most rewarding part of my entire uh, uh, time was working on that show, because short of I would I would say uh, James Sharman and Christian Jack on the fan. I'd say short of those two, whose knowledge of the game and passion for it was just unbelievable and off the charts. Short of those two, I think we had the best thing going in the entire uh, the entire country. Uh, ben, uh, talk about your. I know what my highlights were, and I certainly know what my low light was when I was doing that show. And I, I suspect we share the same low light. And we're not going to mention him. Um, no. But uh, in terms of what was your favorite interview, what was your favorite moment on ICF? Well, there were there were there there, there were many many many, and it's hard to uh, 
point to one. I mean, the day of the interview we will not speak of, uh, TFC opened their 2009 season home against uh, uh, Seattle, I believe it was, and we did a post-game show down at, uh, uh, down at the football factory, and it was a mess. It was a technical mess. Uh, there was no light down there. I've never been in a pub so dark in my life. Uh, we had nothing going right. Uh, we overstretched the technical bounds of that channel.com to the point where they never wanted to do that again. But that show, uh, I think, was one of the absolute, uh, absolute uh, uh, greatest uh, things we ever did because we had fans there. We had the, the, the post-game energy. We were all still seething from the interview of which we will not speak. Um, and uh, that, 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 to me, was an absolutely uh, great day. And I remember, uh, I, think, I, think, I think my favorite accidental blurt, and you accidentally blurt things all the time, there had been a goal. Uh, you know, the TFC's defense had been cheating forward all day, and I commented that all you needed was to have one thing go wrong, and it was Kevin Harps versus the universe back there, and the universe could win that one, and uh, and it did uh, many times. And we could we we could go through the roster of ineffective TFC players all we want, but uh, but that was I, I love that because in the early days we did get the fans involved, we did get them on there, we were the fans' voice, we were the fans for heaven's sakes, and uh, and that whole idea of fan media and. Uh, uh, was on the rise at that point, and I think we had a lot to do with uh, with keeping it alive, keeping it going, and pointing it in some interesting directions, even if they didn't always work. You spoke about the change of things back then, at the, almost at the end of ICS, was the starting of the reform in Canadian Soccer Association that you covered back then. What was your lasting impression of that all uh, election and, and everything? The CSA was the most baffling thing I've ever had to deal with. In general, I felt in my career as a sports writer across many sports that any time I've had to start deal with an organization that starts with a C, ends with an A, and has a sport in the middle, that we're all in trouble. Um, and the problem was the CSA was so ineffective, so bland, and so content in its ineffectiveness. That was the part that drove me crazy. And it didn't matter how many stories I wrote about it. It didn't matter how many times. There was, the, there was a day in 2008, there was a run of days where I think five days in a row I got up on the mountaintop of the, of the Globe website and just hurled lightning bolts at these guys and they never responded. There was never an answer. There was never anything to say. Um, the the whole thing had to change. The whole idea that uh, the CSA board was made up of provincial soccer presidents who had two agendas um, that uh, it just it just made the whole thing just hopelessly mired in the minor leagues. So at the end there, we had people come along, Victor Montagliani and a few others, uh, who had uh, an eye to change it, an ability to change it, an ability to stand up to the old that done. And it was just amazing watching that process unfold. And in the last year or so that I was uh, uh, that I was with the Canadian Soccer News, uh, things just happened at an exponential level. And uh, the bad guys got shredded, the good guys got in, and I ran out of windmills to uh, uh, to go after, and I uh, wandered off to do something else. <laughs> <laughs> you spoke earlier of the wilderness of the soccer. I was going to say broadcast, but there was no broadcast back then. Let's yeah. not lie to ourselves on the soccer media, you could say. What was yeah. the big thing that changed in the last decade, you would say, Ben? I, I, I don't want to pat myself on the back. I don't want to give myself 
credit for this, but the p- position I was in helped make this happen. It happened in lacrosse for me before the soccer thing happened, and it happened again. It was watching the next generation of people come along. It was, you know, it was meeting people like Dwayne, meeting people like Ed Rycroft, and suddenly realizing uh, Ben Rycroft particularly is was was uh, was, the, was the guy I was waiting to come along. Um, the, the the ones who would just who who would just accept the crap, be fearless, go out there, uh, know that there was a certain level of obscurity involved, know that the odds were against you, and, and just not care what the heck we're right about this, uh, and that's all we need to know. Um, just 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 watching watching it change. Not so much that the big media got got the idea that soccer was an important game and that this was a whole lot of fun. Um, I wrote many, many times and infuriated a lot of people that soccer couldn't wait for uh, the big media to come along. Pro lacrosse didn't. Uh, Curling didn't. Uh, They just went ahead and did it on their own. Um, And that was what soccer had to do. The real payoff was to see the next generation of soccer writers. When I look around now and I see Dwayne doing what he's doing, Rudy Schuler's out there, Matt Shinnity's at TSI. I just look at all these people who have come along um, and, and you know, read what I was doing along the way. Thought, yeah, let's do something about this, um, and get up into a position where they can do something about it. That's the way to do it. Somebody's got to get out there and stick it out for years on their own, uh, and uh, show up every damn time the computer goes on, uh, and then people pick it up and follow it. And I've been lucky enough. I've been blessed enough to be in a position to do that twice in two different sports. And that's the part that was most satisfying to me. Uh, and we thank you for that, uh, Ben. Uh, I, I couldn't help but think, Ben, I was, when I went to the first game of TFC this season after the bloody big deal, and I went to go out in the, up in the press box, and I went to uh, to, to go to your normal haunt, that uh, that little uh, balcony there. That, uh, My little spot on the roof, the best view in the whole place. Yeah, and I, I, I thought of you that day because I was uh, almost tackled by a security guard, and you're going to be sad to know that they have now monetized that area. It is a private box now. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't doesn't surprise me, doesn't surprise me. The trick, kids, is to know you're doing something special, know you're in the middle of something special, know that it probably won't last, and get everything you can out of every minute of it. That's the trick. Fair enough. <laughs> and then you can apply that to everything. <laughs> But you have just, but you have just wiped out my last reason to go back to Bevo Field. So there we go. Sorry, sorry to do that. Every time I look up there, I still think of you. Think that Ben would be railing. I can, I can imagine an ICF the day that that you found it. What was amazing, you know, with a different perspective to see. Like you're down there behind the south goal, and from there you can't see how many empty seats there are in the building. And we used to have this argument back and forth about whether or not the park was two thirds empty, uh, which was fairly basic concern. Where I'm standing. I can literally count. I don't have any seats or any section. I, I, I can eyeball the. I, I, I can. I can actually look at it and give you within about a hundred how many people are in the building. Where you are, you can't. Uh, you uh, you you can't see it because sight line is too pitched looking down the sides. And I always found that was an amusing argument we used to have. Uh, it is quite packed and so I, I move. I move around a lot more now than I did back then. I, yeah. I'm not universal in the when I go on press box. I go one fifteen. I go one thirteen. I go anyway. Um. I did want to talk about some TFC a little bit, too. Yeah, let's do it. You were there in the early, early days. Um, Let's talk about Mo Johnson real briefly. Oh, God. How did he stay as long as he did? You have to understand that Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment have blind spots bigger than the terrain they're looking at. And uh, and it's possible for a flim-flam guy like Mo 
uh, to slide in between it. Um, <laughs> the first time when I when I first started coming to Peterborough in uh, uh, in 2009, I found myself uh, kind of alone up here because there just weren't that many uh, there just weren't that many uh, soccer fans around. So I guess it was early in the 2010 season, and the uh, uh, the Reds went into New England and just hairballed up a four 0 loss. It was just 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 appalling. And one of those many four 0 losses in New England. And I I, I came I watched the bar I, I watched the game alone in an empty bar in Peterborough. And I came back and. Uh, and my sweetie said, well, how do you feel? And I said, I feel like I want to write Mo Must Go a thousand times and publish it as a blog item. And she said, sleep on it. I thought, okay, fine. So I slept on it. Got up in the morning and did exactly that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the piece was published just as the TFC plane was taking off in Boston. And Jason Devos saw it and relayed it on to everybody. I had, I had given it the pretentious headline, 3,000 words about fixing TFC. And it just wrote Mo Must Go a thousand times. Um, a week later, uh, I was in the, it was in that horrible elevator at Bebo Field, which is the worst elevator in the Western world. Uh, it is slow, it is ponderous, it is useless, and it is filled with people you don't want to be in an elevator with. And on this occasion, one of those people was Mo Johnston. He just suddenly <laughs> like, jumped, left in the door, just as I was there, just like a week after this. And we, and, and, and we were, we were in there to go all the way up to the third floor, which basically means we were in there for three and a half minutes. Uh, and he didn't recognize me. And <laughs> I just, I just remember writing, it is, uh, it is, it is always an interesting experience to be stuck in an elevator with a guy you've just written a thousand times should be fired. Typical Mo, though. He didn't have a clue who I was. Yeah, those early days were, were certainly interesting. I my the day that he uh, that that all that was going down, I remember getting a phone call from a mutual friend of ours, and I, I won't say who it is because I don't know whether I'm supposed to at the time. It's been long enough, but anyway, <laughs> okay. That uh, was told that the dressing room was blowing up and that Precky was going to be fired. Uh, this was a week before the Mo and Precky firing happened, and I remember yeah. just sitting down at the exhibition place. I happened to be down by B1 just shaking my head at this club, and it's just never changed since then. Of course, they both got tossed the day, the next day after, and well, it hasn't been, it's, it oddly got worse after. I don't know how that yeah. happened. Well, you're, 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 I always find your loyalty commendable, but I remember you and I sitting uh, around about that time, sitting on a King Street car and arguing about whether or not Paul, uh, what would happen if Paul Mariner got fired, which I was calling for. Um, and you say that no one would ever uh, come and manage uh, TFC again and all of this. And my, my counter-argument was that doesn't matter. This guy's a total asshole. He cannot, he cannot, the only thing he can motivate a team to do is quit. And, uh, well, we all know how it all, uh, how it all ended up playing out. Um, I find you a man of remarkable optimism at times, Dwayne. I, 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 I feel often that I was, I was helped in my own pursuits by not being burdened with that kind of optimism. There you go. Well, it becomes difficult to defend them at times. I'll be the first to admit. I just try and be contrarian. <laughs> I always explain yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And being contrarian in TFC now often means being optimistic. Well, yes. Well, yes. <laughs> uh, well, we'll end with this. Uh, we were saying off air, you don't pay as much attention anymore because as anyone could could give you this, you'd want to have to retire from them basically after several years. Yeah. But uh, you do pay a little bit of attention as a fan now. So, uh, you know, how's the bloody big deal uh, tasting to you right now? Well, it, it got off to a very interesting start. But I've watched about four TFC games uh, this year uh, on television. I haven't been to the uh, I haven't been to the park since Philadelphia was in last year. Um, and uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. I the, the games I've watched had been miserable. 
it's just been it's just been so hard to to to, to watch this endless dispiriting soul sucking MLSE thing still soaking in from all directions. Um, the 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 thing that I would really like to see happen right now is for Michael Bradley to grab Jermaine Defoe by the collar, haul him in back of the Queen Elizabeth Building with a few fans watching, and explain a few things to him. That would really be nice if that could happen, but it's not going to happen. Um, I've, I've I've left. I mean. I, I, one of the last things I did for Canadian Soccer News was an extensive series of stories proving that TFC was just about the most spectacularly unsuccessful expansion team in the history of uh, North American professional sports going back to 1967, and that covers uh, a heck of a lot of teams. Um, and uh, just 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 the feeling that it is, in fact, MLSC's fault, that the, that the culture of incentive... Do you realize... Do you realize that the last five coaches, the last five head coaches TFC has hired, have had a combined total of zero games of top-flight coaching experience. Five in a row. You find me any team anywhere that's ever done that. Fair enough. All right, Ben. Um, I tell you what, if they ever do make the playoffs, you you do have to come down to watch the games (laughs) at at a fair... uh... I've got a dear friend up here who's a uh, up here in Peterborough who's a fan who's actually happy that they're going to miss the playoffs this year because he wasn't he wasn't quite sure how to pay for the road game. <laughs> I, I, I'm only telling you this because it's true. <laughs> All right, well, well, we'll see. I was always with my first thought when they uh, when they sort of fell below the red line for the first time was well, at least my season tickets will be cheap next year. Well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. It depends how much of the it depends how much they're paying to foe, I suppose. Yeah. But anyway. All right, keep keep us in touch with that uh, with the novel uh, how that goes, and uh, maybe down the line we'll we'll touch base again. Maybe we'll down the line maybe we'll find a way to get Rycroft to join us. Guys, happy to do it any old time, and uh, you know, hey, you there, keep doing it. Uh, lower your expectations just far enough that you don't get bored, and uh, go have some fun. All right, bad night. Well, thanks for listening to the Two Solitude Soccer Podcast. On Stitcher Radio with Dwayne Rollins and Kevin Laramay. Subscribe to the show on Stitcher Radio. Listen to the show on Stitcher Radio. Stitcher Radio, Stitcher Radio. Would you just please subscribe to the show on Stitcher Radio? Thank you very much for subscribing to the show. And now, back to the show on Stitcher Radio. Coming soon on Stitcher Radio. And welcome back, and uh, thanks, Ben, for uh, for joining us to to catch up. Uh, we wish Knight uh, Knight well. He's uh, always been a character in the game, and uh, someone that uh, a lot of people enjoyed reading and listening to over the years. And it's nice to hear his voice again. Um, you, you know, Kevin, the people today to this day still rally against the CSA, and I think that what someone like Ben Knight would understand is that there has been tremendous change. Change doesn't happen overnight with a snap of a fingers. It's, it happens over time and it really is moving in that direction. It's moving in the right direction, but it's just not moving as quickly as some people would like. But I think that we've got to give a lot of credit to people like Ben Knight back in the day who pushed the envelope and pushed the envelope and pushed the envelope to, to help force the change and to help keep the narrative going. But at the same time, I think we nowadays have to sort of look less about forcing out people and, and trying to fire people and trying to change things and trying to just make sure and stay on top of the changes that are already happening. I think that that's kind of where we're at now. And we're almost at the point of being inclusive as well and spreading 
opened the doors and literally growing the game as bigger as it ever was in Canada. We're on the cusp of that. We had to, back then, in the time that Ben was talking about, we really did need to force people out. We really didn't need to force change, and, and we did force change. There was change that happened. I think now we're at a stage where we need to keep monitoring the change, and we need to start working with the CSA rather than working against the CSA. And I know that that's a hard thing for people to wrap their head around because they were working against it for so many years. But I still, to this day, hear kind of all the time, like just in this past week, I will have conversations with people that that have info, that have knowledge of the CSA that really is from 10 years ago that are still to this day going, ah, anything the CSA says, does, or says, or whatever, they just instantly dismiss it and instantly fight against it without realizing that there have been changes. It, and it, it does take trying to, uh, time to change a habit, though. Yeah, it's the sack the CSA is is an instinct in people's minds and and as I said, we've moved past the sack the CSA era and we're into the we need to work with the CSA and keep them honest era. And that's a different kind of aesthetic and I, I just hope that people can uh, wrap their head around that. But uh Ben, always fun to talk to and we thank him again for coming on. So uh, on that note we're gonna move on. Uh, got a few topics we're going to talk about here. Uh, the Beam Field expansion plans are being announced today. I thought we'd update you on that. Uh, a little bit of the shirt sponsorship news came out that BMO is not going to continue on with uh, TFC after the expire of the contract expires. We haven't heard anything about the impact, but uh, we're thinking maybe if BMO's pulling out of one, they might pull out of other. Uh, Joyce Saputo, uh, he's in Italy uh, getting some job done today. We're going to talk about that. And we're going to wrap it up with some Hope Solo talk. So let's get going. Uh, BMO expansion, Kevin. Yes. Exciting times. Uh, yeah, I'm, it's the announcement today, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, I'm going to be down at BMO Field at around 3 o'clock today. Um, they always have to have it in the middle of the afternoon, which means they don't have to service dinner or lunch, which is very frustrating. Uh, that's what matters, <laughs> really, to the listeners. But, uh, however, I'll probably get some free pop and muffins out of it. Um, anyway. <laughs> they, good diet, this is kind of old news in a way. Uh, it's these, there, there were some, uh, drawings that came out today. There were, if you want to look in the Toronto Sun, you can probably find them, uh, by the time you listen to this, you know, it's they're pretty. They've got a roof over uh, all but the, uh, one end. Uh, the north end is going to stay open. Uh, whether this means, I guess the biggest question most TFC fans will have is, well, there's two. It's We were there yesterday when they announced a, a sellout for the Chivas USA game, and everyone in the entire stadium started laughing their ass off <laughs> because it was nowhere close to a sellout in there. Uh, so what uh, what is that going to mean next year when there's 30,000 seats in there? And you know, not 30,000 bodies. It's going to look even more empty. And I wonder what, what that's going to do to the atmosphere. And I, I truly always had a lot of concerns about that. So uh, they're going to build it up to 30,000 people, uh, finally. Yeah, that that's my understanding of it. It's going to be around 30,000. And, I mean, it's all part of their plan uh, to get the Winter Classic. I mean, this is kind of MLSC thinking in a nutshell, is that they're expanding this little stadium to the sole purpose of hosting a single hockey game in two years. Are you serious? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I mean, you know, you could also host other events around it. Uh, it, it will be expand, expanded in time for the Pan Am game rugby competition. The Rugby Sevens are going to be held at Beamle Field. Okay. Uh, so it's only in action for two days next year. Um, you know, TFC, if they do, they can sell more tickets. Uh, they will argue, uh, and I've heard the argument made, that by expanding the stadium, you can ensure that these South End tickets are, are very inexpensive now, $190 for the season will remain cheap because there will be less demand that they can maintain a cheap section and still be able to sell their, sell expensive seats more often in the stadium. There's all kinds of arguments like that, but I mean, my main worry is that how empty is that place going to look? Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Ben and I talked in that argument, and I still I didn't get into it with him because I the the main point of my that I made back then is that people don't realize how mm, little all TFC fans actually sit in their sit in their assigned seats. Uh, the South End is much more packed than it needs than it should be. People will they don't check tickets to get in there. It's basically a general admission section. Uh, there are a lot of people that will will go in there and without having holding tickets in there. Uh, the same in the the 127 in the North End is the same thing. And certain parts of uh, 111 and the top of 110 and 109 also get more packed than they are because people want to stand, they want to sing, they want to be part of the atmosphere, right? Mm-hmm. Um, however, I will fully admit that that this year and uh, well, especially last year and in the latter half of this year, that that phenomena has become less pronounced than it was back in the in the earlier days when it really was stuffed to the gills. You couldn't move in there. Uh, you know, there was lots of room to move around yesterday. Now I was sat mostly in 115 yesterday, which has never been as packed. But even you know, there's people sitting in in one of the bottom of 114 now. That's just it's changed in there. Yeah, uh, and, uh, what, you know, you, do you think it's because of all the the struggles it had the last couple of years that finally it had an effect on the team this season? Yeah, you know, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of people that uh, that it was never the same. It's never been the same for the last three years. Okay. Basically, the damage was done in those 2010, 2011 uh, kind of seasons. Uh, you know, people don't remember that TFC up until 2010 wasn't they were still not good but they weren't this bad they well they're not that bad right now and i'm gonna put this year aside people are losing their mind over a slump but at any rate in the last two years though they were horrible they were like hilariously bad the last three years i should say 2011 2012 2013 were disasters that don't even aren't definable right Mm -hmm. those three seasons killed a lot of the enthusiasm for the team there's no doubt there's a lot of people that stick around and have been around since the beginning, and they're like been beaten down, so they just can't trust that they should can be excited anymore. So they're not really willing to run into that stadium for kickoff and jump up and down and, and be as excited anymore outside of a, a select few. Um, you get the other side of that. There's a lot of people that used to be in those sections that kind of spoke to the ultra aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And though they believe that as ultras, that they needed to walk away, that that was what they needed to do. And I'm not going to comment on whether that was the right or the wrong thing to do, but um, that was their belief. So they've walked away from the team. And they've been replaced slowly over the years with people that are less less likely to pack in and sing and create atmosphere. And it's just the, this what BMO Field looks like today doesn't look like like it looked like any, anywhere close to what it looked like in 2007, right? Mm-hmm. The other part of that too is a lot of the people that have stayed from 2007, not to put too fine a point on it, but they're not young men anymore. Mostly men, right? <laughs> they're from, they, when they're in their late 20s when it started, they're in their mid 30s now, right? True. And that makes a big, a big difference. So anyway, there's a lot of issues there, and I just don't know how adding 10,000 seats to that stadium is going to help at all. Um, do you think they had in the books uh, with all the bloody big deal the fact that that would generate maybe more season tickets? to uh, explain or to literally have a reason to build it to 30,000 people. Yeah, I think that they definitely thought they might be able to. Uh, I think there's also been a change in the type of fan that, they've, that they're looking to attract. Uh, they did completely change their front office over, including their ticket sales department and their marketing department and everything else. And if you look at the way 
in-game BMO Field promotions work today and comparing them to the past. There's a lot more kind of uh, family fun day stuff that's happening out there now. Uh, you know, they had, you know, military people dressed up in giant bubbles running into each other for a halftime show yesterday on Sundays. So, you know, it's that's kind of the difference. In the first year, we would have booed and thrown things at that. <laughs> it's just that we're a day away from a dance pack at this point in time, basically. You know, like it's it's changed. Like there's no mascot yet. That's coming, I bet, right? They're, they're changing their outlook and how they market this team. It's becoming more like the rest of MLSC's partner uh, teams. Like it's going to be more like the Raptors or the Leafs or whatever, and that's unfortunate. There will always be, like there is in every MLS stadium, there's an element of their supporter section that's just part of an MLS makeup now in the stands. That's not going to change, but the rest of that crowd is going to become less and less um, focused on that. They're going to be less and less focused on the supporters aspect and more and more on the family aspect of it. And I think that the expansion is part of that, that they want to just sort of allow more space in that stadium so that people that can get it can get away with the supporters. That might be part of the thinking because not everyone loves them. I know that the supporters that we mostly talk to think that everyone loves them, but they don't. <laughs> you know, I was standing in the back of 115 when the capo, they tried to bring the capo up to the top of 114 to try and get the rest of the stands in the supporters area to start championing and doing everything the same. And the, the reaction was you can stick your, stick your capo up your ass was a chant that started, right? It's not as universal as people think. <laughs> yeah, which you have to say, it's probably, uh, all around the league is the same too. There's always a, a pro supporter. There's always a backlash eventually too. Yeah, I mean, look, we could get into a conversation about aesthetic. Where I typically am standing nowadays is a very older British expat kind of area of the stands. And uh, basically their philosophy is they like to stand and sing and create little chants and have fun because they all basically did that when they were young in England. But they don't want anyone telling them what they do, and they certainly don't want to be singing the same four songs all game. And that's not their aesthetic. Like I know the crowds in Montreal, they often will do sing a song for seven, eight minutes in a row, right? Yeah. That would not fly in certain sections of BMO this year. People would be like, shut up. <laughs> Enough. <laughs> that's just different space. Mm-hmm. Like, if we wanted to be in... And I think that's the beauty of BMO Field in a lot of ways right now, is that there are sections where you can... If you want to be like a South American crowd, you can be. If you want to be like an English crowd, you can be, right? Mm-hmm. Trying to make it uniform would be a bit of a, a disaster. Anyway, we've digressed way off topic. <laughs> the point <laughs> I'm making is it's going to look way empty in there unless there's some significant differences. Now, the one thing that they could do, Kevin, is they could sell a large amount of very cheap tickets uh, as seasons to try and get more people in there. That doesn't seem like something MLSE would do. But that might be a smart thing to do. If you have 30,000 seats in there and that upper deck on the, on the, uh, on the east side, why don't you sell them for 15 bucks a game? Fill them up with kids and with new fans and fans that haven't had a chance to get out there that can't afford the current, uh, sideline season ticket price and maybe you get more people in there. Yeah. It's always, it's always a thought, right? Numbers versus, uh, uh, just extracting the more, the amount of money of one customer, you take 10 customers for the same amount, but at least you might generate more returning customers with sheer numbers, right? Yeah, that, that's, I don't know what they're going to have to do, but if they have that many seats in there, it's going to be a bit interesting. It's also going to affect uh, TFC scheduling. Scheduling next year, we'll find more information out there next year or this afternoon about terms of how long it's going to take and things like that. Don't be surprised if TFC starts with a long road trip next year, which will might not help them on the field and on the results, but uh, that's stuff that we'll maybe talk about next week. Um, 
the other area of this uh, is the Argos. Does this expansion announcement today uh, mean that the Argos are not going to go in there? The short answer to that is no. Uh, however, the longer answer to it is no, but it's increasingly becoming less and less likely because it's increasingly becoming more and more likely that the Argos are just going to die in a year, uh, which we don't wish, but we do do sort of our realists that we do see might happen. There is no one that owns that. Uh, Braley, the owner who also owns the BC Lions, is widely being reported as ready to throw the keys on the table. Uh, whether the league wants to run this team without a stadium to play for in 2017, because that's when the time runs out of the Dome, mm-hmm. uh, who knows. And if they don't find a place to play, then then it's likely the Argos are just going to go away. And that might be the one and only way that TFC fans can be assured that uh, that there will be no Argos at BMO Field, because as long as BMO Field exists and as long as the Argos don't have a stadium, there's always going to be a loud but or a minority but loud voice out there that that's going to call for them to play a beer. True, true, and we don't wish that on any soccer fans. No, I mean, and again, it's such a hard thing for me because, like, I I don't wish ill will on the Argos. I understand the history. Just get your I, own stadium. I do. Yeah, well, that's what it comes down to. There's also market demands. I I've been listening to this debate a lot, and and I have a sympathetic ear to the CFL side of it, but. At the same time, I live in the city, and there's no one cares about them. And that's maybe we're at fault for that here in Toronto. Outside the country, you can say that. Oh, you idiot Torontonians, you're so arrogant. Whatever. The fact of the matter is, the city has different demographics than the rest of the country. And the vast majority of the people that live here have never been exposed to CFL football, never been exposed to tackle football. If they are exposed to tackle football, they're likely to watch the NFL. And they just the Argos do a really terrible job but marketing in the city. They, they're completely invisible. They play on like Tuesday nights and weird stuff too, which doesn't help. Like it's the it's just a mess. So you can't really blame fans that haven't ever been given the chance to be fans uh, of the Argos for not being fans of the Argos, right? Uh, yeah, true. Anyway, we're not in an Argos podcast. Uh, as a quick little segue into our impact talk, uh, there is some talk about the sports sports shock. Let me just try this again. The shirt sponsorship. Oh, okay. Uh, BMO Field or BMO. Uh, the bank, the Bank of Montreal, um, has decided, has informed TFC that they will not be uh, continuing on with their shirt sponsorship following the expiry of their current contract, which will end at the start of the 2016 season, so for the end of 2015, basically. Uh, the Impact also have an expiring contract for, with BMO for their shirt sponsorship at the same time. It's, they were corresponded to end at the same time. Uh I would anticipate, I haven't heard for sure, but I would anticipate that if BMO's pulling out of TFC, they're probably going to also pull out of the impact. It's probably a corporate decision mm-hmm. uh, based on, you know, priorities that have, that they're just not prioritizing this, this deal anymore. Well, I think it, I think it's weird because actually BMO's been upping the marketing on their soccer side here lately. There's been huge ads. And when I say huge ads, just like on my Twitter feed the last couple of weeks, there was a, all the walls of the biggest metro station in Montreal was written, BMO loves the impact with a huge 3D soccer ball coming out of the wall. It must have cost thousands of dollars to do stuff like that. Well, and all the bus and everything. There's been a lot of marketing towards how BMO's really uh, sponsoring very much the impact and saying they love them programs for kids anyways, which I uh, it's surprising me that it might not be renewing. Yeah, well, it's just the shirt sponsorship. They they said in their um in the article that was came out yesterday that uh, that they do plan to continue to be heavily involved in the soccer world. Okay. 
so they just are going to like there's no talk that the the stadium sponsorship deal is going to change like it'll still be BMO field um it's whether you you know they're paying 4 million dollars a year right now for to have three letters on the front of jersey so 8 million dollars between the two teams whether that's the best way to spend their their marketing money would be the question um i guess i would have to ask and you you know the impact market better than i do obviously you know, is there another company out there in Quebec that would be willing to drop $4 million a year uh, to have their, their name on the front of the Impact jersey, do you think? I think in the how the sports media is looking in Quebec right now, yes. I would not be surprised to see a, a Vidéotron or a TVS Paul trying to fight to get the right to put their name on the shirt just for so they can have their name on the other channel. It's literally what that's brewing right now in Quebec. There's a battle between two sports only channel and that can uh, the battlefield can be drawn on different platforms and the shirt can be one of them that's yeah that's an interesting topic there uh maybe uh, uh beatrice or reed's dairy here in ontario can put sponsorships for saputo's uh, own team no yeah exactly that i wouldn't be surprised something like that might happen eventually you know yeah, Tim Hortons. There's a lot of companies. I actually think the Toronto on the market will probably be able to get $4 million to a lot of these companies. Isn't a, it's a lot of money for you and I, but uh, to them isn't that much. It's just a priority thing. Uh, you know, you might even see another bank try and jump in. Uh, I know that CIBC has been big in the soccer world as well and are looking to get a foothold. That'd be hilarious to have a t- CIBC in the front of TMC's jerseys playing in Emo Field. <laughs> well, yeah, but... Yeah, I don't think they would have let that happen, but you never know, right? Yeah, it's already funny enough that it's the Bank of Montreal sponsors Toronto when there's the biggest bank in the city of Toronto is Toronto Dominion. But at any rate, that'd be hilarious. Toronto Dominion sponsors the Impact. And no, they-, that, they had to sponsor the Sounders, so it's the only team with the right colors. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's <laughs> the funny thing when they try and shove the wrong color uh, schemes onto the jerseys, which happens in Europe sometimes. And happens in Montreal, the red on the blue shirt. Yeah, there is, you know, to be serious about it from a business perspective, there are some complications here, uh, in Canada. You can't have alcohol, uh, advertising on the front of the jerseys. So, uh, that would preclude, uh, Molson's or Labatt's or Sleeman's or something like that. Or, and I know. guess tobacco company cannot put their name on the front of a jersey either, right? Like no. you can't have probably like a, a cigarette brand there. No, no cigarette brands on there either. That's, uh, from laws that change. That's one of the reasons that the, uh, that the auto race in Toronto died for a couple of years, the uh, Molson Indy. Uh, it's because they uh, they could, they lost. It used to be the uh, I'm trying to remember what it used to be. Is uh, I think it was the Cigarette Players, maybe mm-hmm. used to sponsor it. So yeah, it was um, it was for a long time that they, they lost it for a couple of years. Even though that was the most pop, one of the most popular events in Toronto over summer, and it's just never regained its traction since they lost it for those two years. Um, however, we're going way off. We're into like five rings territory now. <laughs> um. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch. I mean, if people are geeks about that, they they like to know what their shirts are going to look like. And uh it's you know, I will never completely understand this, but I bet you that it's almost good business in a way for to change your shirt sponsorship every few years because you're going to sell a crap ton of jerseys that year because a lot of people are going to want the right sponsor on the front. Yeah, why do you think they change every year like or every couple of years in England? Yep, they get they can play them off each other, and you do sell more jerseys because people like to be authentic. And then you get the flat. Then years later, you can do the uh, throwback jerseys too, where you have like the old sponsors on there. It's like 
when I see like uh I go to the Liverpool pub here a lot and there's you sometimes you see the guys with the crown paints from like the back in the eighties on the Liverpool jerseys and I just wow, that's like cool and you think it's an advertisement that I'm gonna at any rate or the Thomas Cook for the city jerseys on that side or whatever. Or the old not the old but not as old but Carlsberg on Liverpool and yeah. I love the old Arsenal Sega ones when they were gold with the Sega on the front. That's they're awesome. Anyhow, uh we're getting yeah. No, no. So on a list, actually, Kevin, this is a real quick little bumper because we talked a lot here and then we'll come back and we'll finish off this uh, middle segment. Thanks for listening to the Two Solitude Sucker Podcast with Kevin Laramie and Dwayne Rollins. You can reach the guys on Twitter at 24th Minute and at Kevin Laramie or both of them at Two Solitudes Pod. Reach the guys on email, Two Solitudes Podcast at gmail.com. But especially subscribe on Stitcher Radio. Now back to the show. And we're back, and we'll real quickly wrap up a couple of quick news items before we get into the uh, MLS review. Uh, Joey Saputo is uh, in Italy. Do you want to explain what he's doing in Italy, Kevin? He is actually part of a consortium that's going to be probably buying Bologna FC. Marco De Vaio's old former playing ground, which uh, might be uh, the ownership of the Saputo group now. And that's interesting. Um, yeah, very much. And not because they needed a new deli or a new deli uh, uh, suppliers for the company. So you would assume that if he's owning that, that you'll see some friendlies and a little bit of tie-ins that way. Do you think there's any chance you might see some uh, youth um, like development kind of uh, tie-ins? Maybe that would be a – that's a good point, though. That would be a good way to get some playing time for the academy players, like 10, 12 years old, give them a good trip to Italy and – it's a way to become an actual soccer player, but that's a good point. But uh, I don't see any tie-ins for now because it never was taught in the actual impact media or whatever. It's literally something the supporters are buying, and it's like a portfolio thing, in my opinion, more than anything else. I guess the only worry I'd have, and we'll leave it at that because we don't know what it's going to mean really, is that uh, you know, Joey always has had the reputation that he really just truly wanted a Serie B team, so now he's got like even a, a step higher, right? So whether his attention is going to be too divided over there now. That would be my only worry as an Impact fan. And guess who showed up nowhere in the background of the picture that was used in all the article? Well, Mr. Nick DeSantis, he's still there. Maybe they can do that. They can have him run the team in Italy. Yeah, go him. Because like you said, he wanted a Serie B team. So by bringing DeSantis in Italy, that's what we'll have. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Kevin, uh, he's available. Uh, he's, he'll be here all week. Tip your, uh, tip your server. Um, all right. Hope Solo. Let's quickly talk about that. I don't really want to talk about this too much because we're going to get ourselves into trouble. A lot of controversy in the United States. Hope Solo, of course, is facing domestic violence charges for an incident that involved, uh, her 17 year old nephew. Uh, she allegedly struck him. Um, her, I believe, sister jumped in. She allegedly did something to her as well. Anyway, it doesn't really matter the details of that case. The fact is that she played uh, these friendlies in the last couple of days, not only did she play in them, she wore the captain's armband, and the uh, United States uh, Soccer Federation used her as their primary marketing um, component for around those games for selling tickets because she was getting um, some kind of cap uh, record was being broken. Um, you know, what do you say about this? With all this controversy in the United States around domestic violence and these players and these leagues being deaf to the concerns, I, there are differences in her case, but how do you let her play still? Like, I just, I don't get it. 
I think the biggest reason is because her case, it was mediate, it was present in the media, but never as much as all the uh, NFL football case that's been going along in the last two weeks, which is mind-boggling to me, first of all. But I, just the fact that there's no media pressure or public pressure or supportive pressure towards the solo case would be a reason that explains why she's still the marketing focal point, why she's still starting and still the captain, you know? And those league and those, I, yes, I'm putting them all together in the same basket. I know I'm generalizing here, but, uh, they never react when there's not an opposition to it, right? Yeah. Uh, there is certainly some pressure that's building now in some, uh, some areas of New York Post, New York Times, or the Washington Post, New York Times have, have reported on this, sort of pointed out that maybe there's a bit of a double standard going on here. Um, I want to be careful when I talk about the gender issues. Uh, clearly there's the same, not the same kind of power issue that, that exists in a Ray Rice situation happening with Hope Solo, so I don't want to compare the two things. However, I think that what is happening is there was clearly a, a violent incident has occurred. Uh, that involved this woman, and in other cases, there's been a public outcry for for people that are facing violent charges that that offend the public in general uh, to to basically take a step back to take care of that and to, to ensure that they want the leagues and these teams to to work ahead of the of the justice system. We had a conversation on Five Rings where we talked about whether that was the right approach. Um, there is a debate to be had there, but I think that you need to at least address them in some way. And if you're going to have public outcry against um, against other leagues uh, playing players, then I think it's fair for people that are criticizing the USSF now and uh, the, the women's uh, team for, for playing her. The one other quick thing I'll say is uh, in my dealings with the U.S. women's national team, which aren't frequent, but there have been a couple in the past, they are one of the most insular uh, communities I've ever dealt with. They get very defensive with any outside criticism whatsoever. So I would suggest that that uh, the U.S. women probably didn't even occur to them that they shouldn't play Hope Solo, and that probably never occur to them that they will because they they bluntly live in their own bubble uh, because they're just not pushed anywhere else, and they don't get the same type of attention media-wise as you just said. So they kind of can operate separate and by themselves and. That's great in a lot of cases, and in some cases, in these rare cases like this, it can create a real interesting situation where they're just not able to hear outside criticism and they become defensive to it. So I hope that the U.S. women's team can understand and hear and respectfully hear the criticism that is quite legitimate that is being placed upon them right now. Just to play devil's advocate, Dwayne, for one quick second, if the whole NFL violence or domestical violence didn't happen would we be talking about the hope solo right now um we should be though i mean you're probably no, no, right. i know i i know we should be but that wasn't the the, the angle yeah yeah i probably not um although some people would very rarely though like it would be some people within the the women's soccer media and they have into their fairness have asked questions before this about whether it's appropriate to have hope solo be such a prominent part of the part of the program. Now, there's a lot of... We could talk about Pope Solo for an hour. Yeah. <laughs> um, there are a lot of angles with her. She is a person who has had a different kind of upbringing than the typical U.S. women's team. I think that that kind of... Those kind of issues play into people's perception of Hope Solo uh, unfairly in a lot of ways. Uh, there's just a lot of things at play there. But there is something clear... As I said off the top, she was, it was clear that she's been involved in something that has been, that is, that the criminal justice system has deemed serious enough that they want to press charges with. 
if you want to be consistent, and I think you should be consistent, and I think it's appropriate to be consistent, I don't think that if she is going to play, you certainly shouldn't be marketing around her. And we'll leave it at that, Kevin, because we're probably going to get ourselves in trouble if we keep talking. I know. I agree with you. We thread thin, like, what's, what's the expression? We were in shallow waters, and we actually stayed there. Good. Yeah, there we go. All right, stay quick break. We'll come back and we'll do a real quick wrap-up of the MLS Canadian Games and the NASL Canadian Games this week. Hi, this is Dwayne Rollins of the Two Solitudes Podcast. Uh, doing this podcast, it's a labor of love for Kevin and I, but it's not a free labor of love. There are costs associated with doing it, costs with our time, with hosting, with so on and so forth. As such, for this month only, we're doing a fundraiser to try and raise a little bit of money to keep this podcast going and, and improve it to maybe two times a week permanently. If you'd like to help us with that, you can do so the following ways. You can send an EMT transfer to csndonation at gmail.com. You can support us through PayPal at dgrollins at gmail.com. That's, that's D-G-R-O-L-L-I-N-S. Thank you, and we really appreciate it. We're back, and uh, as we always do, we'll do a quick NASL review before we get going. Uh, double win for the NASL Canadian teams this week. Ottawa 3-0 over Atlanta. Edmonton 1-0 over Tampa. Huge win for uh, for the Eddies. It actually moves them within four points of a playoff spot now, so they are right in there with a shot, and we will continue to cheer them. Ottawa's a little bit further back. They have 22 points. 30 points currently is the threshold, uh, but they have to, they've turned it on. And uh, what kind of bump are they getting there, Kevin? The two solitudes bumps since Dustin, since Philip DeSantos, our technical director of the Ottawa Freebies, has been on our show. They haven't lost a game yet. So there you go. There you, any PR uh, people out there, if you want to have your team running an undefeated streak, just give us a call. Uh, be, all the information's out there to get all of us, and uh, we'll interview you. And uh, you're guaranteed, right? Guaranteed. Guaranteed to be undefeated for at least three weeks. I think Edmonton's lasted three weeks, and now Ottawa's is now three weeks. So uh, that might be how long it lasts. So we'll have to watch next week. Um, okay, let's, uh, let's talk about, uh, the Whitecaps. What the hell happened there? Uh, well, a Cascadia rivalry apparently happened in Portland. Three nothing, nothing happened for Vancouver. Yeah, not their best effort of the year. Um, one of their most important games of the year. Uh, it, it does beg the question of whether they have what it takes to, to make the playoffs there, Portland has been coming on. Uh, it puts the Whitecaps in an awkward sort of situation this week. They have to cheer for TFC. Uh, TFC, of course, plays Portland uh, in the um, on Saturday at home, one o'clock here in Toronto. That's uh, a game that uh, that Vancouver can't win for losing because the other part of that is that the loss combined with uh, Toronto's three 0 win over Chivas. I put Toronto back in the CCL position, so uh, the Whitecaps fans have to choose whether they they want to have uh, Portland uh, get points and put them tougher against a playoff, or if they want Toronto to get points and make them tougher to make the Champions League spot. And uh, that's that's the what they're facing next week. A lot of the same issues. Uh, the Whitecaps, obviously, the three 0 they were they were hurt on the on the defensive side of things uh, against Portland as well. But uh, I guess that nil is the biggest problem that I have there. And until they can address the scoring, I just don't know how Vancouver is going to find a way into the playoffs. How long has it been? It's been, been talking about strikers for Vancouver. It's been a couple yeah, months now. About a month now. 
They need Maddox to get hot. They need someone to get hot. They need something to happen up front. They like definitely in the off season need to um, need to address that. There's uh, going to be some strikers uh, rolling around the league. Uh, you know, uh, there's a good one at Chivas that's going to probably be looking for a year-long loan. Uh, there's some talk about bringing Camilla back in the middle of the year. I don't know what's happening there, but uh, yeah, because he got a uh, his spot got taken by Ronaldinho. Yeah, so they're going to need to address that, and uh, I, I'm sure that they're aware of that. But uh, in terms of this year, it's going to be touch and go. Um, let's talk about the the impact quick before we finish with TFC. Two um, nothing victory at home against uh, the Quakes. The center was a quick a game that meant nothing, Dwayne. And even with the win, the Montreal Impact are mathematically eliminated from the playoff in 2014. Should we have a moment silence? Uh, I think we should. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> um, and yeah, they, it was just one of those games late in the MLS season, and I've seen a few of them in my day that literally meant nothing because the Quakes are out of it too. But, uh, alas, uh, good for the impact to get a win though. It's nice for them to, to build confidence on next year's. Uh, I, I didn't actually see it, I'll be honest. Did, did the kids play? Uh, yes, there was a couple of kids playing, uh, JGL, uh, Jeremy Gagnon Lapare, left back of the future, in my opinion, for the Montreal Impact, for Canada. That player is blooming in front of our eyes, Dwayne. He's becoming one of the best defensemen in Canada. Uh, never mind uh, for the Canadian men's national team. He's one of the best defensemen in Canada right now. The way he's playing and his confidence is growing, he's actually becoming a top player. And uh, he has great genes, we have to be fair. His, uh, Andre Gagnon, his father, his former uh, professional USL player and all that. But it's great to see him bloom at the pro level right now and he's still very young and I think he's the first academy players to actually have that little something if you know what I'm talking about that little something extra that uh, he went from signing a contract to having first team minute consistently in the span of a couple months and you don't see that very often think he'll be in Montreal next year or well he'll be in Montreal next year but do you think he'll be with the impact or do you think they'll put him a little bit uh uh, in the USL next year? No, he'll be fully with the impact, in my opinion, next year. Okay. And certainly with Ashton Morgan's struggles to get playing time, you'll have to think of him as uh, as the left back that Canada is going to be most looking forward to in the uh, qualifiers coming up. So uh, good for him to get any time. Um, the other good point from that game is just the realization of Piatti is dangerous from almost anywhere. Even though he didn't score and didn't do anything really particular in that game, anytime he has the ball 40 yards close to the goal, he is dangerous and he's a threat and the players are literally getting scared of him. Yeah, and it's rare for a player to jump in and be this effective this quickly. So uh, you got to give the impact credit for finding him. Uh, you know, we talked enough about the uh, the comments that were made off the air. As long as he's performing, I don't think impact fans will care. Yeah. Uh, it's up to them to sort of convince him to, uh, to stay long term, I guess, is what it comes down to. Um, let's move on quickly with TFC because we went long today in the middle, so uh, we want to wrap this up pretty quick because Kevin's got a golf game to go to or something, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right. Um, TFC, uh, the 3-0 no winner, Chivas. I, there's not much to say about the game, Kevin. I am quite bluntly, and think about this from when I'm covering. Who's talking here? I have never seen a worse performance by an MLS team than Chivas this week. Think about that, folks. <laughs> Who have I watched a lot of? 
Yeah, no, it was pathetic. It looked like a team that knew that the, the gig is up. And I think we might, in the next couple of weeks, try and get a Chivas guest on uh, to talk about that situation out there, even though it's not Canadian. I think it does. It's, it's relevant to those of us who watch MLS, what's going on at Chivas. And it's quite... Because if we wait a couple months, there might not even be a Chivas to talk to, Dwayne. Yeah, and I don't think there is. That was just my... They, they literally weren't trying. Like, I mean, there's no other way to put it. They were trying on offense. If the ball got forward, of course they were going to try and score because they're... They're professional athletes and they want to do stuff to, that are, is fun to them. But, uh, it's fun to try and attack and score. But as soon as the TFC would counter back and get possession, they were just going through the motions. It was really visible that this was not an effort. And TFC could have had five or six. Like, it, it really wasn't close. It was never in doubt. Um, I think if you're looking on your, if you're trying to handicap the remaining UC Chivas on your, your lineup, just add three points there for whoever they're playing because it's just not pretty right now. And it's unfortunate because it's a it's a competitive mess. Um, anyway, in terms of TFC, they did what they had to do. They got those three points. Does it prove anything? No. Um, however, it was a happy coincidence for them to help them get a little bit of confidence back. Stephen Caldwell played the full 90. I think that's an important uh, factor in there. Uh, it's important that they didn't allow a goal, even though it was Chivas. I think it is still important. Because it's all about confidence at this point. Sure. And the other big uh, TFC news is that uh, apparently, although we haven't seen confirmation of it yet, uh, Mr. Defoe has uh, has landed back on Canadian soil. Um, you know, regardless of whether he wants to be here or not, and there was another tweet that I sent out today on, on 24th Minute, which sort of indicated that he doesn't. Um, someone sent it to me. This uh, was a uh, him in England uh, talking to some guy and saying that he wanted to be back in the Premier League soon. At any rate. Regardless of that, he matters. Just a quick little bit of math, and we'll maybe leave it at this, Kevin. With Jermaine Defoe in the lineup this year, TFC has 1.83 points per game. That would put them in contention to win the East. Without TFC in the lineup this year, or without Jermaine Defoe in the lineup this year, TFC has 1.07 points per game. That would put them outside of a playoff spot. So I think having him back for the stretch run in obviously matters, doesn't it? And you might need all you can get to make those playoffs. Yeah, I was looking at it. I mean, if you look at the, the who they're chasing in, like Columbus, for instance, they they play the Impact. So TFC fans are going to be cheering for the Impact this week as well. Uh, they're at New England, they're at Philly, they're at New York, they play Philly at home. So like you look at Columbus, all these teams are playing each other. So that that's good and bad. It means that one of these teams is going to be losing points, but one but another team is going to be gaining points. So TFC basically, I think, needs to take care of its home games and, and and nick one other game on the road. And if they do that, they will be in the playoffs, I think. But if they don't, if they aren't perfect at home, I think it's going to be tough. So this game against Portland on Saturday is going to be really vital for them. Um, I said 42-43 a couple weeks ago. I think it's going to be 45-46 now based on what I'm looking at. So that's where we're at. They're at 37. The race is there. And it's not going to be easy. All right. It's not impossible, though. And that's... I, to, to end it positively, because I was accused of being too positive by Mr. Knight earlier, we'll end it positively. It's not impossible. And if they do make the playoffs and they have Jermaine Defoe back healthy and uh, and ready to go, who knows? Maybe we'll be talking about the uh, TFC hosting the MLS Cup Final here in uh, two months. What do you think, Kevin? Sure. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a bloody big deal? That would be a bloody big deal. <laughs> Bye. All right. Until next time, folks, have a good soccer. Good things might come to those who wait, but not for those who wait too late. We got to go for all we know. Just the two of us. We can't.
can make it if we try just the two.